When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included. All while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. As always, Scott and I are joined by our super producer, Noel the Hound Dog Brown, and most importantly, you, which makes that car stuff. And I'm wearing my blue suede shoes today, too. You are wearing your blue suede shoes. Now, that's not an everyday thing for you, right, Scott? No, it's a special occasion. Definitely a special occasion. Yeah. You know, church, here, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a birthday party. Sure. Or like at a nice JCPenney's. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know. If I ever, have you ever, ever seen anybody in blue suede shoes? I have, but you know I'm from Tennessee, so I I have seen match. right. Yeah, I have seen some people uh, wearing some blue suede shoes before. I have yet to see somebody in an all blue suede outfit, though I am sure those exist. It is likely out there somewhere. Yes, mm-hmm. and I have been to Graceland as a wee tyke, though I don't remember too much of it. Oh, really? Okay, that okay. You've answered one of my questions. I was going to ask you. Today oh, really? Is, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you if you've ever been there because I've never ventured over there. Now, you know, I wonder what it would be like going back as an adult because, you know, so many things that you do when you're a kid seem entirely different when you're an adult from watching a film to visiting a theme park or a memorial. Sure. You probably had you couldn't really grasp what you were looking at there. You couldn't understand what you were seeing, probably, if you're really, really young. I don't know how what age you were. I mean, were you like 19? Yeah, I was 19. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. how, how old do you think you were, just roughly? Well, gosh, we moved uh, f- We moved around the age of eight, so I was younger than eight. I was probably maybe six, seven. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the, the thing there is when you're a kid, if your parents are taking you to museums or uh, places where figures of note used to live, then one of the first things that you notice and remember about the place is that it's just like a house with a bunch of velvet ropes that you can't cross. Yeah, sure. And you weren't like, uh, you weren't really looking to see 
just what makes up the jungle room or, or <laughs> right, how, right. how opulent the bathroom was there or anything yeah. like that, right? As, I wasn't walking with a guy book in hand going, hmm, interesting. Yeah, at seven. Yeah, yeah or whatever right, age you were. Right, yeah, right. Okay, I get it. I, yeah, yeah. You probably should take another visit back and just uh, and see what you think. Hey, uh, you should you should go too. While we're on the way, we can make a road trip of it. Definitely. It seems like it's close enough to us that we could do that, I think. So by now, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't read the title of this podcast, and why would you spoil the fun? Uh, you may think you know what our episode's gonna be about today, but I'm not sure. I'm, not, you know, I think this is, this is kind of a left field one for us. You know what? I'll be honest. I, you can read the title. There's, so there's other stuff going on in this story, as always. It seems like recently, when we've been, you know, kind of researching a topic, digging up some information, uh-huh. uh, it just takes us in so many different directions. Um, th- th- and the focus of this one really is, uh, whatever became of Elvis Presley's hearse. That's, that's truly, we're going to get to it. I promise you. Yes. We, we have the definitive answer. We know what happened to it. But we're not going to get to it straight away. No, not right away <laughs> as, uh, as is our typical routine here, I guess, uh, because we've got a lot of information. I think, mm-hmm. where, where do you want to start with all this? Because, um, I've, I've got a couple of sidebars that I think are pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, there's some speculation about what happened that I want to talk about just before we tell you what actually happened to right. it. Right. Which again, we do have the answer. Yeah, we do have the, the true answer. And, um, Man, maybe we should just kind of set the scene because, uh, sure. oh, wait, you know, how about this? Let's What's take, that? let's do something else. Okay. Why is this even important? Why are we even talking about this today? Because, um, who really cares what, you know, Hearst, Elvis Presley was, uh, was, you know, given his last ride in? I mean, does it really matter? Uh, I mean, he's, he's in there for just a couple of minutes. Oh, come on. There's a symbolism to it. I, I Scott, guess, you I, know. Yeah, there is, but think about, I mean, there's going to be celebrity hearses all over the place, right? I mean, there, oh, there's true. a chance that, you know, Someplace out in Hollywood, California, has got a, a hearse mm-hmm. that has carried countless celebrities in it. I mean, likely it's likely there. I mean, I would think right. that it would be like the Burbank area, Hollywood Hills, that area. So what makes this one so special? Why is there so much intrigue around this this hearse? And it's got an interesting tale that goes along with it. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, we will we'll start with just a, a couple dates just to catch everybody up. If for some reason you are not familiar with the person we're talking about, Elvis Presley was uh, born in 1935, uh, a world-famous American singer, actor. You may have heard him at times called the king of rock and roll or simply the king. Uh, and if you are from the U.S., you definitely know about him. Heck, I, I would have a hard time believing someone doesn't know about him. However, despite his legendary status, uh, Mr. Presley did pass away in August of 19. 19- 77, which is kind of where our story today starts. Yes. We've already talked about Elvis with his, uh, his car collection. We did. We some did. of his yeah. eccentricities, right? Because mm-hmm. he really was a, he, he really was truly eccentric. The way he would just buy you a Cadillac. Well, that's yeah, awesome. he'd do that. And then he also had other, like he would shoot his cars. And <laughs> yeah. he, he just, he had a, quite a temper on him. And, sure. uh, it seemed like a, like we said, he seemed like a fun guy to know, really. I mean, yeah. know, the, the, the shenanigans that he and his, uh, his group would get up. The, up the kind of guy you could have a beer with. Yeah, exactly right. I forget the name of his group. I'll have to remember that as we, as we talk. Oh, here, yeah. It's in our previous yeah, episode. Yeah, shoot. I'll, I'll think of it as we were, as we're going through here. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so, so we're talking about 1977 and a particular vehicle and why it's, why it's kind of uh, something that we want to focus on today because there's, there's some lore out there about what happened to it. And you wouldn't think that that would happen, but people try to, you know, hang, he, he became such a celebrity. Yeah. Um, you know, during his life and then even after his, his uh, you know, 
which was untimely passing in mm-hmm. 1977. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, numerous reported Elvis sightings all the way through present day, really. Sure. Well, until recently, I guess, and on islands or whatever. Mm-hmm. And of course, all of his, uh, you know, the memorabilia, everything is so, um, um, collectible these days. Yeah. And it wasn't so much in 1977. So the car that was used to, you know, to take him to the, uh, to the graveyard mm-hmm. really wasn't anything that anybody particularly wanted at the time it was just another car in the fleet of vehicles that this uh this funeral service offered right um i don't know where i don't we're getting scattered here Ben. let's start this way let's focus on the car yeah let's do that okay so this car at the time was brand new it was a white 1977 miller meteor landau traditional cadillac hearse if you have not heard our earlier episodes that touch on hearses uh, please do all, do by all means check them out because there's some fascinating stuff here so we've got that we've got the hearse right the one hearse that's a cadillac yeah and in white, front of course white of course of course and leading the charge there or leading the procession rather is a silver cadillac limousine but that's not the only limousine in the entourage right oh, oh no this is a, this is a huge entourage and if you haven't seen the uh the Elvis Presley funeral, the film footage of this, uh, you might want to just check out a clip of it because it's pretty impressive, really. Sixteen white Cadillac limousines carrying mourners, uh, you know, to the cemetery from, uh, you know, the uh, the ceremony that happened at Graceland mm-hmm. um, down the street. And, and there are mourners lining the pathway the entire way. We're talking 80,000 people that line the streets. 80,000. Yep. I mean, that's unbelievable this is what a big deal this was i mean he was a, a huge pop star at the time mm-hmm. and i would i would say that i think in the time just after his death he even became more popular i think right um it seems that way but again eighty thousand people um that line this uh, this final route i guess you know from graceland to to a place called the forest hill cemetery in memphis mm-hmm. and um okay here's here's how how enormous this the ceremony was i guess um, now, they had to remove all those flowers that were at Graceland and bring them with them to the cemetery for the second part of the ceremony. It took 100 vans five hours to move the flowers, the flowers alone, from Graceland to the, to the, uh, the cemetery. And the CEO of FTD, um, I forget the guy's name, I think it was Bud something, Bud uh, Lipinski, I think it was. Uh-huh. Um, he flew to Memphis to personally handle what they called the flower problem that was going on there. Wow. Yeah, amazing. So this is a really big deal. I mean, a lot of people turned out. Um, um, it was just a, uh, a well-covered news story at the time. Right. 80,000 people. That That's a larger funeral attendance than some members of royalty have. Yeah. Yeah, I know? think you're right. Yeah. And this is just people that uh, just showed up, and they weren't really invited to the ceremony or anything. It was just people that lined the street uh, as the as a proce- uh, procession went past them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? There's so much that goes on around this whole thing. There's uh, um, vigils being held at the uh, at Graceland. Sure. Um, there's, of course, you know, some people are let in to view uh, Elvis's body while he's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on around the death of, of, of Elvis. And it all happens within about two or three days, uh, again, mid-August of 1977. Right. That viewing stuff was uh, primarily for celebrities like the Kennedys or James Brown. Uh, however, uh, interesting fact here, the the police department actually had a code specifically for Elvis sightings, right? They yeah. had like a 100 for um, a homicide or 200 for something else and 300 was the code for an Elvis sighting. Strange, isn't it? Now, they did allow some of the uh, just general populace to come in and see him as well. Right. Uh, but very limited. 
I think, you know, people were lined up for so long that, you know, if you were not right there when the gates opened, you probably didn't get in to see them, uh, mm-hmm. see him rather. Um, what is a strange thing to do though? I mean, to be there and then to suddenly have the gates open and you're invited in for a viewing of, of your, your, your hero, uh, yeah, your, your icon. hero. That's exactly right. So I think there's one thing, there's a sidebar here that we need to talk about before yeah. we get much farther. Okay. And, um, maybe two. Tell me which one you want to hear first. There's a there's an interesting story that goes along with the uh, the, the vigil at, at that evening, mm-hmm. the evening of the funeral. Uh, there's also a sidebar that has to do with other uh, hearses that um, have kind of been in the news recently. Let's do the vigil first and then the other hearses. Okay, let's do that. So we'll talk about the vigil first, um, and then we'll go on to some of these other hearses that have kind of been in the news recently. I think it's worthwhile mentioning. Sure. All right, so this is uh, kind of a strange bit of history that is often ignored. Uh, when we're talking about the vigil and uh, it was a huge gathering of people outside the gates of Graceland mm-hmm. the night of the uh, of the funeral. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, hundreds of people, right? Yeah, outside the gates. I think it was like 300 or so, uh, depending on where you read. Uh, the, you know, the accounts go from like, I think, 250 to 500 or something like that. Uh-huh. But, but hundreds of people holding an all night vigil in front of the, you know, Elvis's mansion there, uh, Graceland. And uh, this is in, oh, let's, let's see, this would be August 18th, I believe. Yeah, August 18th. August 18th, 1977. And among the mourners were, were three um, individuals that we're talking about right now. Uh, Alice Hoverter, uh, Juanita Johnson, mm-hmm. and uh, and Tammy Bader. And they were aged 19, 19, and 17, respectively. Okay. And uh, so they're outside the gate there, and they're talking with uh, some policemen, I think, some you know local authorities. And they hear some screeching tires behind them. And someone just plows right into the crowd, going like 50 miles per hour, something Holy like that. Holy smokes. In a, uh, in a 1963 white Ford. Um, now, this is crazy. The guy um, was apparently driving south on Elvis Presley Boulevard, but he turned off onto, into some lots on the right, and he turned back around to head north and drove straight into the crowd intentionally. Now, they found out that this guy was drunk eventually because he tried to run from the police about a block later. Oh, and he got uh, caught. But he struck two uh, two of them, um, Alice and Juanita, both died on the scene. Wow. And Tammy uh, lived. She was, this is a horrible event. She was drugged underneath the car for like a block. Oh, my god. But gosh. lived. She's the, she's the one who survived. Uh-huh. And the reason I'm telling you all this is because this this story takes another twist as well. Hmm. So she survived this and and was in a coma for like 3 weeks and had brain surgery and all, all kinds of stuff like this happened to her bad bad stuff when she wakes up from the coma uh there's a guy there who um or a guy on the phone rather um his name is um Donald Beatty Donald Beatty Donald Beatty now Donald Beatty is important because the night of that accident there was a, a, a sort of famous photo that was taken and he is one of the first responders on the scene there. He's helping her out. Oh, now, okay. it's Tammy laying on the ground. It's not too graphic or anything. Mm-hmm. She's laying on there on the ground. And he is, I believe he's touching her knee. And there's another uh, Good Samaritan who's there helping her. But he's closer up by her head. You know, he's talking to her. Mm-hmm. And all right. So, again, she wakes up and Beatty is there. He's on the phone. Um, and I guess she said he just kept calling me, kept pestering me. She said, so I'm reading this news story. Yeah. What happened later? And this this is where it takes another twist. Okay. Um, So she had undergone brain surgery, you know, all this other stuff. And and she accepted Beatty's invitation to come and visit her because, you know, he had helped her out at the scene. So she said, of course, but um, uh, along with some other family members from Arizona. And she said it was a mistake. Now, looking back, I wasn't thinking clearly Um, my um, the guy, he starts to uh, almost harass her. Over, you know, at the hospital. Well, she's still at the hospital ah, okay. and afterwards. 
And uh, he goes so far as to follow her uh, from like where where she lives. He follows her from city to city. So, you know, the accident happened in uh, Tennessee. She lived in Arizona, I guess, with uh, with family mm-hmm. um, or maybe she was she lived in Missouri, I guess. But she had been in Arizona to stay with family. Then she moved back to um, Missouri, her home. And then he went with her. He moved back with her, um, you know, not with her, but near her. Uh-huh. And uh, then she moved to Indiana and then he moved to Indiana. And oh, that's scary. Yeah, man. they said, okay, the, 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 finally the family got together and said, nope, we're buying you a one-way ticket. And they did. They bought this guy a one-way ticket to Air, back to Arizona, and they thought that was the end of his uh, this twisted romantic pursuit, as they yeah, call it, right? Yeah, yeah. And he was saying things to her like, and the reason that they were upset was not only is he following her and stalking her, mm-hmm. um, he's saying things like, uh, you know, you should marry me. Uh, you ha- in fact, you you really should marry me after what I did for you at the accident scene. Oh, uh, he's saying like you owe me. Almost. You owe me your life. Yeah, that's kind of what he's saying, that's right? So, up, so as as she improves, as her condition improves, uh-huh. uh she realizes that his only role in assisting her at the crime scene was he he like knelt by her, and I think he put his hand on her knee. The other guy was the one who really helped her out. He was just there. He, he didn't even save her no, life. No, he just happened to be there. So she re- you know realized that he didn't necessarily help, and then. When he moved back to Arizona, you know, the yeah. family gave him this uh, this trip back to Arizona, and I promise we're getting back to her oh, yeah, in just yeah, a yeah. minute. But um, this is all car related, right? Right. Somehow, um, <laughs> so uh, a guy claiming to be a U.S. marshal shows up at her home and asks her to sign a petition asking the Arizona governor to pardon Beatty. Now she doesn't know anything about this, and she says, "Well, no, I'm not going to sign that. I, I don't know for what. For what? Yeah, he has been arrested for murder in Arizona, like a 13 year old girl. Oh man! And so this is a bad guy. And she said, "When I think about this now, like the stalking that went on yeah. after this this whole thing happened, um, he could have flipped at any minute. He could have, you know, flipped the switch and and overpowered me. It could have been over for me as well. Wow! Um, so she narrowly escaped it. I think her family did a good job, you know, realizing what was going on there. But this guy was on death row, and he was actually put to death." For that murder in Arizona, uh, yeah. shortly after you know he had been involved with uh, with um, Tammy Bader, talk about double jeopardy. Uh, very, she was very dragged strange. under the car for a block, and then I guess spent the next what months, years after that, years on years. the run from this guy. I think the murder happened in '84, so that was seven years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she spent about seven years uh, being harassed by him, and then kind of out of touch with him for a long, long time. And of course, he was in prison on death row. And not to be not to be flippant, but it does remind me of one of those uh, one of those famous quotes. Uh, the police director E. Winslow Chapman, at the time of the at the time of Elvis's funeral and death, said, uh, "I'm afraid we're going to have people trying to get into the mausoleum tomorrow, and the day after that, and the day after that." There's nothing like an Elvis fan. And he was saying this in the context of multiple strange behaviors by fans of Presley after, after Presley passed on and was interred, um, including, you know, people getting drunk and running up shirtless or even new to try to vault over the gates of Graceland or to break into the tomb. Uh, one interesting thing about the sidebar there, uh, with the, with the drunk driver at the funeral, is it reminds me of a novel recently recently published by Stephen King, who I know is not for everybody, but he has some good car-related horror stories, and he had this one that came out recently called Mr. Mercedes, which is more like a um, detective crime book than it is horror. There's nothing supernatural really in it, uh, as far as I know. But in that in that story, Mr. Mercedes is the the name of 
a killer who drives through a procession of people. Oh, really? Yeah, it just seems like, and I just mentioned that in case somebody's interested in, in reading some detective fiction, but. Or Christine. You could read Christine. I mean, you could read Christine. There's also From a Buick 8, which is another evil car mm-hmm. thing, but, um, not quite the same. They're different kinds of evil cars. It's just strange how surreal the entire situation was surrounding Elvis's hearse. And I know that was a little bit off track there, but I found it so interesting that all that was going on. And then as I just found this little bit of, uh, you know, like a side note, typically, yeah, in, yeah. In, in the uh, in the story of like what happened that evening. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on to this tale that lasts all the way up until um, uh, what year was that? 2011, I think. Yeah. When he was finally put to death, uh, this guy. So it was like 27 years later. Very, very strange. So let's uh, let's talk before we get into the speculation. And again, the definitive answer to the mystery of Elvis's hearse. It's time for a word from our sponsor. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught— a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For my heart podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back. Uh, let's talk about some of those other celebrity hearses. Yeah, now there's other celebrity hearses that have been in the news, and it doesn't happen too often, but this does happen. Um, in 2011, a North Carolina man sold the hearse that was used for Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s uh, funeral. He sold yeah. it on Craigslist for $8,800, um, and I think he said he immediately regretted the decision to get rid of it. Um the uh, it was a nineteen. The car itself was a nineteen ninety six Lincoln Town Car hearse, 
Um, had 115,114 miles in the odometer, as the, as they said in this Jalopnik article. Uh-huh. And the new owner almost immediately tried to sell it on eBay for $1.5 million. <laughs> so he buys it for, you know, 8800 bucks. He puts it on eBay immediately for $1.5 million. It did not sell. There's just no honor. No, no, these, you it know. didn't sell. And if it did sell, it didn't sell for $1.5 million. I'll tell you that. Right. Um, and then there was also this. Now, that was the real deal. That was uh, that was the one that really was used in that funeral. Okay. But there was a fake JFK funeral hearse that was also put on eBay for $1.5 million as well. Another one that failed to sell. But see see what I mean here? This yeah. is like, this, this is kind of a big business, I guess. If you have something like this, you could... Make quite a bit of money. Not a million and a half, because no one's paying that, obviously. But if you attach a famous name to a vehicle, oftentimes that vehicle will sell for a lot more. I mean, celebrity-owned cars sell for a lot more money than a car of the same make and model. Absolutely. In better condition. Yeah, Yeah. exactly right. And so... You know, this, uh, this JFK funeral hearse that you can look up the story about that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the fake and how somebody faked it. Um, also, you know, this reminded me of the, um, the hot rod hearse that we talked about recently, the mm-hmm. 1967 Boot Hill Express. You remember yeah, that one? Which that, is a cool one. That was at the Peterson Museum in the, yeah. uh, in the basement. And, uh, that one, the reason that one is, uh, maybe famous, I guess, be, well, for one, they made it into a hot rod, which is unusual. Sure. But, it was supposed to have carried a James Gang member to uh, the Boot Hill Graveyard in Tucson, Arizona. The guy's name was Bob Younger. Yeah, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, that's right. And see, it, it adds value to it, though. That's why that hearse stands out in people's mind as being somewhat um, historically significant. Yeah, and if, okay, so I'm going to be maybe a little bit abstract here, but one thing that's interesting, at least about society today here in the West where we live, uh, is that the role that uh, once upon a time would have been taken up by, you know, heroes of stories or mythological figures or um, real life saints, things like that. Mm-hmm. Celebrities occupy all those roles at once now. And just the way that saints would have relics or reliquaries uh, now, celebrities, after they pass away, um, first off, if they're famous enough, no one wants to admit that they passed away. Right. The, mm-hmm. Doesn't the legend go that uh, Elvis Presley, Kurt Cobain, um, who, who else? Oh, Jimi Hendrix yeah. um, and uh, Michael Jackson are all living in a in a timeshare somewhere. Sure. Yeah. On some island somewhere, right. some remote island. Right. Yeah. Uh, but this this idea that there's some sort of um, non tangible spiritual importance to things that famous people possessed is is kind of crazy because you start to see the bizarre things that people will do for them but then also you start to see the bizarre stories that tend to coalesce around these things i've been thinking this ever since we did our very first episode on a cursed car which was james dean's cursed porsche Mm -hmm. right and whether or not it was an actual curse. Now, just full disclosure for everybody. Uh, I don't know about I don't know about you, Noel, but Scott, I know that you and I aren't really the kind of people who buy into that stuff. Yeah, not me, not no. me. But uh, but it is interesting, nonetheless. Especially when we start talking about what happened to this hearse, because speculation ran wild. It did, and you know that's before we got a uh, the true answer, which mm-hmm. we're getting to. We're getting to the true answer here in just a minute. But uh, the speculation is kind of interesting to read, and there's some good. You know, opinions here, some good thoughts. Yeah. Uh, so some of these, uh, some of these people that wrote into the site, and I, I think that, um, I gathered this stuff from a site called Elvis, Ca- yeah, Elvis Cadillacs. And, uh, it had some comments from people. I, I don't know if they were gathered from elsewhere. Uh, you know, if these were, you know, kind of, uh, combined into one article here for, uh, for the Elvis Cadillac site or not. But, 
Um, some of the comments from uh, the Professional Car Society members uh, were pretty interesting because these yeah. are people that have a, a deep interest in hearses, and they know a lot about them. They know um, how many of them are out there, really, which is another factor that we haven't really talked about yet, right. but we will get to. Um, here's an opinion of a, uh, a member by the name of Bernie DeWinter. And, you know, first of all, Bernie describes, uh, you know, the, the hearse itself and, you know, that it was – um, I think we talked about it. It was a 77 millimeter Landau traditional Cadillac hearse, yep. and it was the first of the new downsized Cadillac hearses, the the new chassis design. Um, I don't know if the king would like that being in a smaller caddy. No, it doesn't sound like him. <laughs> anyway, it's still a big hearse. It's a huge hearse. Um, but his opinion, and this is just a generalization of what he says here. It's a long, long uh, article, but um, the cost was the was uh, the big factor in this one. He says the hearse itself was not um, particularly desirable. Uh, the chassis change led to a higher load floor, um, something like five or six inches higher than the previous design. So that meant that you had to lift the uh, the, the casket, the body, right. five or six inches higher, which is not easy when uh, you're talking about something that weighs, you know, like 900 pounds combined. It's it's very, very difficult. Um, also, the annual demand for Cadillac, because of this change, you know, the annual demand for Cadillac commercial chassis went from something like 2,000 units or more per year to about 900 units per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, with all the goofiness of the safety and pollution standards at the time, new American car prices were going up constantly at a time when people were um, used to moderate consistency from year to year. Oh, this is this is important. <laughs> we talk about this a lot. Yeah. Now, there's a point in our history where things just skyrocketed, where... Um, you know, it does. It didn't seem to keep up with the standard rate of inflation. It just went. It went up. Yeah. Up. 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 Yeah. Up, yes. Up. It's absolutely. like cars just continue to get more and more expensive right. because of what they're adding. Uh-huh. So, he says, in you know, the cost of new car prices in general were going up. It was causing sticker shock with the general public. So you can imagine what that would do to the price of a new hearse, um, because it was about thirty thousand dollars for one of these at the time. That's outrageous. And we're talking about mid nineteen seventies, a thirty thousand dollar yeah. car. I haven't done the conversion or anything, but that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Um, and downsized hearse prices held up far better on the used vehicle market for far longer than the older cars did. So it was a comparatively long time before any downsized hearses finally found their way out of service with the mortuary. So he's saying that the mortuary probably hung on to this thing for a long time. Again, this is speculation about what happened, not right. really what happened. Yeah. Um, and he says other factors to consider would be that in August of 1977, that was the first major meet of the Professional Car Society, and it was held in Cincinnati, Ohio. And prior to that point, uh, hearses at a car show were really kind of unacceptable. I mean, they were yeah. there, but they were on the outskirts. They weren't the, the featured item. It was seen as kind of, I guess, morbid and undignified. Yeah, and, you know, again, Elvis memorabilia was not quite as popular back then as it was now. You know, it wasn't as collectible at the time. And uh, the, again, twenty five, you know, twenty five grand. If this thing held its value, you know, even years later, uh-huh. people just weren't going to pay it. So, right, cost it, it keeps coming back to cost. And there's another one here that mentions um, uh, another another PCS member. His name is Dennis Goth, and uh, Dennis mentions that um, the Elvis funeral was directed by the Memphis Funeral Home mm-hmm. and SCI, which stands for Service Corporation International. Right. Um, the I, most specific non-vague name ever. Yeah, I guess. And I can tell you about SCI in just a minute. It's it's a pretty interesting company. Yeah. Uh, but they, he, as he says it, they're a very large consolidator of funeral home properties. They own literally thousands and thousands of funeral homes and cemeteries across the world. And I'll, I'll tell you numbers in just a minute, just mm-hmm. how big this company is. Um, he says that um, he thinks his opinion of what happened here, because before, in speculation, was that it probably just got lost in the shuffle. There are so many of these cars out there. There's nothing really to distinguish this one 
from right. any other hearse in the fleet. And I'll, I'll have an argument against that in just a minute. <laughs> but um, he says that SCI was notorious in those years for keeping their cars until they fell apart. Now, this is mm-hmm. back in the 70s. Yeah. Um, he said Memphis Funeral Home is a high-volume firm, and so they have a lot of funerals there. And they have quite a fleet of identical cars. So all these all these hearses that we're talking about, there may be 10 or 15 or 20 other cars exactly like it. What what sets this one apart? Um, he says, I wonder if after a few years anyone even remembered which one of those hearses actually carried Elvis to his grave or from the hospital or from the funeral home to Graceland. Uh, you know, there's there's other trips that were made as well. So, you know, they each had their own role, I guess. So that's his idea is that maybe they... Um, Maybe it was just lost in the shuffle. Right. And, and maybe it could be a barn find or a junkyard. Yeah. And you would think, well, how, how is that possible? How do you lose a hearse in the shuffle? Well, yeah. as I said, you know, this company, this SCI, um, Service Corporation International was founded in 1962 by a guy named Robert Waltrip. Mm-hmm. And, um, in, was, uh, Houston, right? Yeah. In Houston, Houston, Texas. And it was, it was started with just a single location. He inherited a funeral home from his family. Uh, somewhere in Houston, and he began this uh, this SCI, which is the world's largest funeral home and cemetery chain anywhere. I mean, it's it's enormous. They've yeah. uh, they've they've somehow re- remained invisible to the public, even though they're this large. I mean, you probably don't know that you have an SCI funeral home in your city, but you probably do because uh, despite the innocuous name like Service Corporation International, they could be selling anything, right? Uh, this company is. In almost all 50 states, there are like 43 states, um, most of Canada, they're in eight Canadian provinces, and Puerto Rico. Yeah, parts of Australia, I think, are looking at them as well. And wow. they're trying to branch out into Britain, France, Mexico, oh, you mentioned Mexico, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Uh, this is a big company. It's, it's, I think it's well over a billion dollars in annual sales. Uh, they handle, in America, in the United States, they handle one in every 11 funerals. Which all, is quite a bit. Yeah, all to say that it is completely feasible, it's completely plausible that they would have left or lost a single hearse. Yeah, now they have fleets of hearses in different cities. Right. And they go from, from place to place. And you wouldn't know this, uh, you know, if you're not in the, in the business, I guess. And I read about this, you know, in, in kind of a, a trade journal, um, in that they will assume, like, not assume, but I guess, uh, they will, they will, uh, appear as if they are part of the small town funeral home uh, when they go there. They will even go so far as to change the metal plaques that are on the vehicle. Right. Uh, with you know, they slide into a slot, and they have uh, row after row of these in, in different cities. Um, they may have uh, anywhere from you know fifty different funeral homes down to uh, just a couple if it's a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are. But the idea is that they're able to be on call for anything that happens anywhere at any time, and they have a large staff. Um, it just, it helps out. It's, it's a very efficient way to do it. And again, you don't really know that it's happening when they're there. You know, you, there's, there's little subtle things that you can look for, like a lapel pin that says SCI. Um, but that's about it. And I think only the top execs wear that. Uh, mm-hmm. so you wouldn't know that, you know, those people aren't, aren't actually members of that small town funeral home. Um, so all this leads into the idea that, you know, that one hearse, that one hearse that carried Elvis could be lost in the shuffle in a town as big as Memphis, Tennessee. That, that seems completely plausible. However, that is not the case. And now that you have heard some of the speculation, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to reveal to you the definitive answer, the actual fate of the 1997 Cadillac hearse that carried Elvis Presley to his grave. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called survival sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance. I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it. And it was a history full of love. The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible. And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. For My Heart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and the thing is that, you know, it, it was so simple. I mean, this guy wrote in and said, I know exactly what happened because... It, <laughs> I was there. I was there, yeah, yeah. I'm the guy. And uh, it, it's so strange. I don't know exactly where this original uh, post came from because it's been right. it's been copied several different places, but I found it at a place called, uh, well, it's called findadeath.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just has the interesting history of a lot of um, celebrities, you know, the, the celebrity deaths. And uh, Elvis is one of those, and this story popped up for that. Mm-hmm. And... Again, as far as speculation is where it went, this is the this is the real deal, and we we are close to this place. This place is uh, just down the road from us, really. The, right, the place yeah. we're going to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Here's the story, and I'll read it. Uh, we can stop anytime to talk if you want. Uh, the guy says, "My name is Chuck Houston. I'm president of Houston Brothers Incorporated, a funeral car dealer in Marietta, Georgia, and I've been to this place. I've talked about this place in our previous podcast. Yeah, you have. Uh, the graveyard of hearses in the uh, back. You know the uh, the older ones. Graveyard of hearses. Yeah, I like that." Yeah. Um, all right, so funeral. I'm a funeral car dealer in Marietta, Georgia. Around 1984, I was the last person to drive the hearse that carried Elvis to his grave. Our company, then known as Crane S&S Sales, which my father owned, bought, sold, leased, and traded cars with SCI. So that's the place I just told you about. That's right. why that was important. Service Corporation International. Yeah, so he, he uh, again, he bought and traded cars with them. And he did so for many years, and he originally sold the new car to SCI. So he knew this car personally. He, he had association with it. Mm-hmm. He says, we came back into possession of Elvis's hearse when Memphis uh, Funeral Home updated their rolling stock. 
And th- there's a way that they know that in just a moment, I'll tell you. Yeah. And people, people were kind of tracking which hearse was associated with all this. I'll, I'll tell you how that happens. But he said, we were loaning the hearse to a funeral home in South Florida until their new vehicle was ready for delivery. My father was reluctant to loan the car out. He wanted to hang on to it. It's the only car he ever wanted to keep in his 50 years of business. So there's something special about this one to his father. It was a, a, a prized hearse in his collection. He says the funeral home in Florida was one of the biggest customers and needed a white on white loaner desperately. Elvis's hearse happened to be the only white hearse on our on our lot, and another employee and myself, both of us about twenty one at the time, we were going to drop off the car and then spend a few days um, of spring break in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> All right, so right. he's taking Elvis's hearse to spring break in in Fort Lauderdale. Talk about a road trip. So they they leave around what seven p.m. Yeah, seven p.m. Uh, they're headed towards Miami on I seventy five. And around 10 o'clock, it says we ran out of gas just north of Valdosta, Georgia. Amateurs. Yeah, so that's the extreme southern end of Georgia. And uh, he says what what was odd is that a tank of gas in those days would carry you from Marietta, Georgia, to the Live Oak exit in Florida with gas left in the tank. Now, that's a clue right there. That'll tell you. <laughs> so he says that was based on the many, many cars my friends and I delivered to the to the South Florida area in the early 1980s. So they're no strangers to this. Yeah, and let me be clear that I'm joking when I'm saying amateurs. These guys are by no means amateurs. Oh, no, no, not at all. Um, so he says, therefore, we never checked the gas gauge until we were in the vicinity of Live Oak. And, of course, they ran out before they got to Live Oak. Yeah. This is all a clue. Uh, here's, a, here's what's <laughs> going on. After running out of gas, we walked about two miles to the next exit, bought a can and some gas, and started back up the you know the northbound return ramp towards the Elvis Hearse. So after running out of gas, he says, uh, they walked two miles to the next exit, and they bought a can and some gasoline. They started back up the northbound return ramp toward Elvis's Hearse. But before they got to the highway, a sheriff from Lowndes County stopped them, asked them where they were going, and called them a cab. Mm-hmm. Right? And so he says, we got her going again and headed for the gas station to fill her up. We're heading south. We're on our way. Just as the way station comes into sight, the engine cuts off. I dropped her into neutral while traveling around 65 miles per hour and turned the ignition. When I did, fire shot out from under the hood on both sides. I eased her to the shoulder next to the way station return ramp, and my friend and I jumped from the hearse as the fire engulfed the front end of the car. Oh, man, scary. So there's it's a fuel terrifying. leak. There's a, yeah, huge, there's that's, a huge fuel leak. That's why it has to be fire shooting out from both under, like, both sides of the hood. Yeah, and it somehow got in contact with the, uh, you know, uh, the, the hot exhaust, right, and caused a fire. So and it's I get over it. at that moment. Yeah, it's over. I mean, it, it's it's done with at that point. You're right. Uh, my friend and I met at the rear of the car after <laughs> they scrambled out and realized all of our possessions were in the rear of the hearse and the doors were locked. We couldn't get back into the front to retrieve the keys due the due to the fire having already spread. A truck driver appeared with a fire extinguisher, but it was just too late. Neither of us wanted to get close for the fear that the, the hearse would blow up. Uh, so we stood uh, stood by and watched as Elvis's hearse went up in flames. A fire truck finally arrived, and all they could save was the rear quarter panels, the the rear door, and bumper. Yeah, man, that's uh, that's something. So, the uh, a place called Twin Lakes Towing picked the hearse up around two o'clock in the morning and had and carried it to their lot. And the DOT enforcement officer carried us uh, to the the local Ramada Inn. And so we find the rest of the story here. The next morning, the kids call a cab over to this Twin Lakes place. They wait for the record to show up from Marietta. While they're waiting at the towing company, 
all this guy can think of, all Chuck can think of, is he burned up Elvis's hearse and that his dad is going to kill him. Oh, no kidding. I mean, this is the this is the only one in his dad's, as he said, his dad's 50 years of service. That he kept. That he wanted to keep, that yeah. he wanted to hang on yeah. to probably for the rest of his life. Um, so now it's gone. And, of course, here's a 21-year-old headed down to spring break. Big, big trouble, right? Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I mean, clearly it wasn't his fault. Nothing really happened. I mean, it was just a, uh, it was a mechanical failure. Mechanical right, issue. yeah. And, uh, again, that goes back to, you know, the allegations that SCI was riding their cars to the ground. Yep. <laughs> I guess so. And he says, uh, to kind of wrap this up, he says, the remains sat on our back lot, which is uh, on... Um, Highway 41, which is also called Cobb Parkway, which yeah. is where I went and visited that, uh, as I said, that graveyard of, of hearses. Uh, it sat on the back lot until 1989 when it was finally put through a car crusher and hauled off. My friend and I sat there and watched as it was crushed. The same guy from the road trip. Yeah, and he says, <laughs> now he says, other than the VIN, the, her- the hearse was um, identifiable by a number on the lower right-hand side of the rear window. He says, I can't remember that number at the moment right now, but I want to say it was number seven. The number, whatever it was, is visible on some of the footage of Elvis's funeral. Uh, this is the one, there's one scene in particular where the hearse is turning left where it's plainly visible. The number sticker was still on the vehicle the day it was crushed. So it matched. They knew it matched. Right. When they had it. They knew that it was the one and they had also kind of been monitoring this one because clearly his dad had some kind of, um, you know, uh, association with this. He wanted sure, to keep it. Sure. He wanted to hang on to it. Um, again, he says, out of the thousands of hearses that my father has sold over the years, this one was special. We always said that Elvis didn't want his hearse to end up in South Florida. <laughs> and so it didn't. No, that's it. I mean, as, as plain as that is, I mean, that's what happened. I mean, it, it was just burned up and that was it. But this is interesting because I, I don't know if, if other people along the way have claimed to have owned the hearse that carried Elvis Presley. Because it, you, you've got to assume that there's a whole fleet of cars that look identical to that that came mm-hmm. from the Memphis area from SCI mm-hmm. and people probably you know would say well I wonder if this was the one I wonder if that was the one but they knew this one and apparently it was number 7 in yeah. the fleet from from that specific region from that specific company and they again they they had uh not a tight hold on it but they knew which one it was and and he somehow arranged to get it back and then this fate befell it I guess in 1984 so if you are on eBay friends and neighbors, and so very close to buying what purports to be Elvis Presley's hearse, be warned, be aware, all is not what it seems. Uh, this is this is a very strange episode, too, because uh, I, I was surprised to find all the detective work that people were doing online mm-hmm. to figure out what actually happened to this, because it seems... It seems so strange, right, in in our modern age where it's super easy to take a picture of anything and we obsessively document everything. It's strange to remember that this is one of the only periods in human history where that ever happened. Uh, the human species, if you look at it as a whole, our track record, we're very good at losing stuff. Not just cars. We've lost cities. Yeah, yeah. Civilizations. Civilizations. We are very good at losing things. Uh, but, but to borrow a phrase from somewhere else, now more than ever, it is possible to find these lost things, right? So if you have any uh, lost vehicles of yesteryear that you'd like us to look into or any mysterious disappearances, uh, I'll tell you guys, honestly, we love this stuff. Yeah, let me tell you, I know we, we kind of started this podcast off with some non-car stuff or sort of like uh, tangentially related sure. car stuff. But, sure. But we got around to the Hearst tale and, and along the way, when I was reading about Service Corporation um, International, 
I tell you, that, that place is pretty fascinating. And if we dig into the fleets of vehicles that they mm-hmm. own, uh, there might be something there. I mean, who else owns thousands of hearses and thousands of limousines and thousands of, uh, you know, suburbans that are intended to, to carry bodies and things like that? It's, it's a fascinating industry. And when I was reading about how careful they are about not letting it be known that they're kind of this, this huge, huge corporation that's right. running small town yeah. funeral homes and how careful they are about making sure that the family doesn't know that, that, it's very seamless in the way that it's it's done. Sure, fascinating. Because people don't want to people don't want to uh, associate the death of a loved one with some big corporation, right? People yeah. want to have, for lack of a better word, a, a mom and pop kind of experience, a personal experience, individual and, care. Yeah, and if you've seen that uh, show, oh, what's it called, Scott? Six Feet Under on yeah. HBO. Uh, one of the that show is about a family that runs their own family uh, mortuary and or funeral home. And uh, one of the big antagonistic things is this other company that wants to take over them in all but name. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's strange. It's a story that a lot of people don't know. And I would hazard to say a lot of people would be interested in hearing. It really is. I mean, I was reading about it and I had to I had to pull myself away from that because it was fascinating. I, but I had to do more work on this podcast. So, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really fascinating. So if you want to dig into uh, Service Corporation International, at some point we can with their fleets of vehicles because I, I would imagine yeah. that upkeep on stuff like that is uh, is very difficult, mm-hmm. uh, tough to manage all that. And when do you decide, decide when to pull stuff out of rotation? Right, because if you think about it, the service requirements for a hearse uh, are vastly uh, different Right. In comparison to something like an ambulance or uh, a trucking fleet. Yeah, right. Each, each one is a custom vehicle. Each one, Yeah. Every hearse is a custom vehicle and they do short stints of service. You're not going to see a you're not typically going to see a, a hearse or a funeral procession driving across the country. But it's a it's like a work. Be- I mean, it's in a, in a way it's a work vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. And lots of time idling. So yeah, I wonder if there's engine idle considerations to consider. Uh, you know what? There's a lot to talk about. We'll there, get so to it. Maybe yeah. we should. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Uh, let us know uh, what you think, as always. Well, maybe enjoyed is not the uh, right word, but we hope this uh, story fascinated you as much as it fascinates us. And tell us what you'd like to hear about in an upcoming episode, especially if you have a missing car you'd like us to try to track down. We'll play detective. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. You can check out every episode we've ever done at carstuffshow.com. And you can email your ideas to us directly. We are carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, But We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through. In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a die-in. And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. 
freeze americano. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.